Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Good evening and welcome in once again to the QB11 show. I am Doug Scott, joined, of course, by QB11. Andrew, good evening. Football is back. Oregon is back this week. I'm excited about talking about another game. Yeah, good to be back. We didn't really take much of a week off. I mean, I think we recorded more last week than we have ever in the history of the podcast. So um, good to be back, though, with a game to look forward to this weekend. It was kind of weird waking up on Saturday. I was excited for the Tennessee-Alabama game and some of the other games that we, that we got to watch last weekend, but it just doesn't feel the same when we don't have an Oregon game that we take a lot of equity in and are excited for. So it's good to, good to have a big game this weekend, which should provide a really excellent environment. Yeah, I totally agree. The worst football weekend as an Oregon fan is when I'm not at the game, but Oregon is playing like the late, late fourth window kick, and you're sitting there all day long watching other games, but you really have this like baseline anxiety building for the Oregon game. That's not for like 10 more hours. And you're just waiting and waiting and waiting. The second worst uh, college football weekend is the bye week So um, it was, it was that. So hopefully we don't, I haven't had to experience the first worst yet this season and I'm hoping that I won't have to. So do you have um, like a routine on so like for Saturday, away, like for an away game that you're not going to for like a 1230 kick? Is there a routine that you like? Uh, for an away game, so haven't I've only missed one game so far this year. You know, not being in person, which was the Arizona game. Obviously, I'll miss a couple coming up. You know, Colorado. I won't in Cal. I won't be at those two. So, and I think we have a Colorado kick time now, isn't it three thirty or is it twelve? It's twelve thirty again. So we're back at the early window. I think. Yeah, same same network, same window. Yeah, so I think for that one, that one I, I kind of almost like that it's playing early, right? Because we kind of get it out of the way, and then like I can actually enjoy the rest of the games after that instead of having that anxiety building all day long. I, you know, for that day, my routine will be get up, you know, probably get some breakfast, start watching games around nine, uh, you know, watch that first window game, and then you know, as we build toward twelve thirty, you know, hoping that that game is one that isn't the, the <laughs> that that actually the Oregon I can actually start watching the Oregon game at kickoff you know the overlap in the windows sometimes you have to find it on a different channel or god forbid you you end up missing the first quarter of the first quarter or the first half of the first quarter which is always the worst when that happens especially when the game that's on is like a blowout and they're like this the la- you're watching like the last 10 minutes of game time with like a 30 point lead and the teams are going through the motions the announcers are talking about whatever and you're just like, can we ditch this outdated Heidi rule that's been in place for like 50 years? Like, it, we don't need to do that anymore. If it's a game, you know, flip over to the new game. If something happens and there's some miraculous comeback, you can always flip back networks. Yeah, but like, on the other side of that, like, I don't want to miss a snap of garbage time 
as an Oregon fan. Like, I want to be able to watch the young guys. So I understand why they don't. I think Fox does a good job, and I also think it helps that you're following up the big noon kick at, in that 1230 window. Because when the big noon game, like, like it's usually running clock in the second half because it's one of Michigan or Ohio State blowing somebody out. So there hasn't been too many issues with those games kind of running into that 1230 window. So um, Yeah, that's I th- true. I think the ESPN has the best setup because they have so many ancillary networks. If the if one game runs long, they'll usually just flash on the bottom of the screen. Oh, you can see this over at ESPN Ocho. Flip over there, and then you'll watch there, and then they'll it'll come back over to the regular ESPN when it when the other game ends or something. So they have that luxury with all their extra networks. Yeah, unfortunately, Fox doesn't quite have that yet. So that yeah, might yeah. be changed in the near future, but we'll see. Yeah. So again, you know, just we we had a great time recording with Hithaday last week, as well as our, our regular picks episode and our midseason review. So if you haven't, if all of you haven't checked those out, you know, give those a listen. They're a lot of fun and just really, you know, again, you can find us at, at QB 11 show on Twitter. Of course, our podcasts are available on Apple, on Spotify, on Amazon, on Google or wherever your podcasts are found. So I'd appreciate, you know, liking, subscribing those on whatever your podcast platform of choices. Uh, we have a ton of reviews, like our ratings are 4.8, 4.9 on all the platforms. Really appreciate all the reviews. If you haven't left one yet, love love for you to go re- leave us a five-star review. And really, we do this for all of you listeners. And the show has been met with incredible success in just a few short months we've been doing this. And that's what energizes us to keep doing it and 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 keep getting better and better. And, and for those of you who subscribe, um, and we definitely appreciate our, our monetary donation subscribers, on on the anchor platform and, and on spotify platform for those of you who do that like just want to let you know we're putting that money toward advertising that pod uh, we'll also be using it in the future to you know upgrade either our microphone equipment or potentially our our recording platforms um or post-production platforms and things like that so all of that money is going back into the show it's not you know it's not going to qb's slush fund yet uh you know if he gets really big, I'm sure he's going to demand a cut. But for now, we're we're just reinvesting it all in the program. So you not it's all optional. You don't have to do that. But we definitely love and appreciate those of you who who do uh, subscribe. So thank you for that. Yeah, thanks. Thanks to all the support. Those of you that have been so gracious to give a couple of dollars to helping grow the pod. We really appreciate that. And um, hopefully we can continue to provide you with some kind of quality content that uh, – fulfills your itch for Oregon football and Pac-12 and national stuff all together. So, uh, Doug, let's get let's get going on the week. Yeah, that's enough about us. We have a big game coming up. Number nine, UCLA travels to Autzen to take on number 10, Oregon. Game day is going to be there. Josh Pate is going to be there. The eyes of the football college football world are going to be on Eugene this Saturday. Unfortunately, the rain is returning to Eugene after, I think, months of, of no rain. Um so that's a little bit of a maybe downside to the game, and we'll see how that impacts the game if it does at all. But I'm going to be there, you know, I'll be there bright and early for for tailgating and in the stands. And I think it, it could be a an all time record odds and crowd. Certainly, all the ticket sales, the standing room only, the student tickets, everything is going like gangbusters. So it's going to be probably the best environment in Autzen since, I mean, at least the Mariota years, if not even the earlier chip days. So it, it should be an incredible lightning environment. And I think this will play an impact on this game. I mean, UCLA has played six games. Five have been at home. Their only road game was at, at Boulder to take on Colorado. 
which, you know, credit, as we talked about on last show, you know, Colorado's um, fans have not abandoned them and they have a good crowd there, but it's still not going to be close to the environment that, that UCLA is going to see and odds in this weekend. So, you know, QB, early thoughts on this? Yeah, I think the environment's going to play a big piece in this. When I think back over the last several years, obviously the COVID year notwithstanding, I think that the best environment that we've had in recent years was probably the 2018 Washington game. Um, big win, obviously, at home, but really engaged and ener- energized crowd. I don't think that the weather is going to be quite as good this week as what we had in that 2018 game. Uh, but I would expect that the anticipation for a top 10 matchup, an Oregon team that's really starting to kind of play up to its talent level and execute it. Uh, I think that there's going to be a lot of demand for this game. Ticket prices I would, would tend to agree with me on that. Uh, just kind of perusing uh, SeatGeek and Ticket Ticketmaster and, and looking at, at kind of what resale is looking like. I think it's going to be a packed house standing room only. And so uh, hopefully despite some rain, Oregon fans bring, bring the energy um, and can help build build a, uh, a really solid home field advantage for the Ducks. Yeah, I've been at every home game since 2017, and, and I would agree that that Washington game in 2018 has been the best environment so far. I expect this one to probably eclipse that. I mean, depending on how the game goes, right? I mean, if it ends up being lopsided one way or the other, it probably won't. But if it ends up being, you know, a game like we saw in, in Rice-Eccles, last weekend between USC and Utah, then absolutely. I think this crowd will probably eclipse that one. One of the, I, I, I think it, the student section at Autzen bears mentioning um, for a lot of recent years, there's been a lot of criticism uh, levied at that section uh, at not being what it used to be kind of back in the late 2000s, early 2010s when, when everything was really rolling. And I think some of that criticism is fair. And I think some of it hasn't been necessarily the fault of the students that, that come, but more so in the way that the the tickets were distributed. And I will note that the university made a change before last season, before the 2021 season and how student tickets um, were dispersed. And I noticed it immediately last year and it held true all year long. And it's held true so far this season as well is it has had a significantly positive impact on the student section, uh, they, they are, they're there on time for kickoff. They stay at least through shout in a blowout, right? Which is all you can expect. And they are loud. They're into it. They're, uh, you know, raucous, you know, which is what you want from your, your student section at a game. And so I think they, they deserve some credit for, for some of those changes that we've seen over the last couple of years. So, you know, shout out to the students and I'm sure they're going to bring it this weekend as well as the rest of the crowd. Let's get into the game. Um, it you know just at a high level you know these teams obviously number nine number ten and you look at some of the similarities they both have very powerful offenses very balanced offenses they both run the ball with success they both throw the ball with success uh, you know SP plus by Bill Connolly has you know UCLA as the number three offense in the country and Oregon as the number six offense in the country so very similar I think when you look across you know some of the others beta rank. F plus FEI, all of those are there. Both these teams are in the top 10 offensively. Some have UCLA ranked slightly higher. Some have Oregon ranked slightly higher, but the point is they're both really good offenses and they both are multi-dimensional offenses. Defensively, they're also very similar uh, in SP plus that, you know, 46 for Oregon, 48 for, for UCLA. So almost identical. So, you know, you kind of look at it at a really high level and, and then some of the advanced metrics and you're seeing like two teams that on paper, look very similar, like high-powered offenses, 
average-ish defenses. Of course, when you get into the nuances, thing differences you know appear, and we can get into some of those later. But you know the the tail that of the tape would say this could be a high scoring game, right? It could be a back and forth game, a lot of firepower, a lot of offensive uh, scoring, you know, maybe it's a 40, you know, 40 something to 30 something or 40 something to 40 something game. Do you see it playing out that way? Uh, yes and no. I do think that the weather could play a factor in this. Um, I just, I don't know if you want to dive too deep into it statistically yet, or if we want to stay more surface level. Um, I, I think the overs in play, if the weather can somewhat sustain like being halfway decent, uh, it's supposed to rain. There's an eight percent chance of rain in the current forecast for Saturday in Eugene. Not sure what time frame they're expecting the rain to be, so we might get lucky or kind of catch a Stony Brook situation from a year ago where it poured like poured poured all warm ups. Like there was a waterfall running down the steps in our section, and then by the time the game started, it was completely dry. Um, so we'll, we'll see how that plays in, but that will certainly factor, um, in offensive game plans and offense's ability to throw the ball vertically. Um, especially with, uh, with two quarterbacks, like when it, when it, when you're typically looking at rain games, quarterbacks with big hands, uh, tend to be, tend to be more accurate, control the ball better in those situations. Uh, it's kind of counterintuitive, right? Like everyone expects that you'd want to grip the ball harder in the rain. It's the exact opposite. And so guys with big hands typically really throw the ball well in the rain. They don't, they don't have to grip the heck out of it, or they don't have to worry about uh, losing control because there's just more surface area of their hand on the ball. Um, I don't know that either Knicks or DTR have huge hands. So it could, it could really cause some problems in the, in the past game for both teams and cause them to operate below what they would be expected to um, based on the sample size so far this season. So that's something I would certainly look at. Uh, but yeah, by and large, I think this is going to be a matchup where both teams are going to score. It's going to be a matter of which defense can come up with more stops, uh, especially situationally. Like when you talk about the middle eight, um, an area that Oregon has won running away this year for the most part outside the Georgia game. Those are going to be really important areas for Oregon to get stops and maximize possessions because that's where you can develop an edge in a game where you have two really evenly matched offenses. Yeah, and I think if you look at it, you know, on the defensive side of the ball, both both defenses, you know, statistically do pretty well against the rush. Um, you know, UCLA is actually slightly against the rush, depending on which metric you're looking at. Um, I though I think some of that is a function of of competition. They I, outside of of Utah, I don't think they've played. You know, maybe maybe Alabama, South Alabama. I don't think they've played a particularly strong rushing team. And I'm, and honestly, I don't think Utah's rushing attack is is particularly good either. I, I think that's an area of their of their offense that's significantly deteriorated from last year. Um, but neither t- neither defense is has been very good against the pass at all, and both defenses have been particularly bad on third and fourth down, uh, both in the triple digits ranking wise on third third and fourth down success rate. So I think that is going to be an area that really people could focus on this game is who, who can get off the field on third and fourth down, um, you know, kind of breaking trend from the season and who, who sticks to trend and doesn't get off the field on third and fourth down. Yeah. One key statistic I think is an area that is really important for Oregon in this game is uh, stuff rate defensively for UCLA. They're a hundred and third in all of college football, only stuffing 15.5% of runs uh, power success rate is 106th. Like they really struggle to stop the run in short yardage situations. Oregon has performed much better in those in those same 
uh, splits where you have Oregon uh, 34th in power success rate and uh, 36th in stuff rate. So certainly better, um, not elite numbers for Oregon, but you would consider that to be more of a 50-50 in short yard situations versus where, especially when you consider the just how strong the Oregon offensive line has been in those same metrics. Those are going to be pretty automatic situations, especially at home um, with a home crowd behind you. So Oregon offensively power success rate is fifth, 91.7%, and their stuff rate is eighth. So hardly ever getting stuffed in runs, uh, doing a really good job of converting and keeping the chains moving in those uh, those very obvious power uh, run situations in third and fourth down. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. You know, maybe we should start diving a little deeper here on on one side of the ball. Let's start with the Oregon offense and the UCLA defense, and then we can flip flop it, you know, a little bit there. You know, I look at I think the things you just mentioned, right? You know, Oregon has been able to run the ball on anybody. I mean, uh, pretty effectively. They even had some some success against Georgia. You know, in between the thirties, um, you know, running the ball. And and is this a game where you see that changing? Is this it? it I think the thing that the times when Oregon has struggled the most offensively to me, it feels like it's when they've actually, I don't want to say abandoned the run because they've never abandoned the run, but when they've kind of gone into a fat, a, a pass first mode, it feels like that's when they've, they've you know not completed drives or, or maybe had some one first down and out kind of um, kind of possession. So is this a situation where I think Oregon, you know, leans on the run game because I think USC is susceptible there, or do you think are they going to try to pass, um, you know, pass, you know, go at go at UCLA through the air and pick on them there? And and I'll I'll be really interested to see what what Kenny and the offensive uh, team strategy is going into this game. We've seen some varied, you know, schematic strategies week to week from them. I'll be curious to see what their plan is here. Yeah, I would expect that UCLA is going to be healthier on the defensive line this week than they've been maybe in uh, at different points this season. Against Washington, they're down to their top three defensive tackles, playing primarily with walk-ons on the interior of the defensive line. Uh, they've been slowly getting guys back kind of one week at a time. All the injury reports I've seen for this week seem to indicate that UCLA expects to be back at full strength on the interior defensive line. So we'll get their best shot in regards to personnel up front. Uh, I do have questions, though, about how – like in a lot of the metrics, especially the EPA metrics, uh, the UCLA defensive front has done a pretty good job against the run, but what's the best offense in terms of running the ball that they've played against this year in, in terms of line yards, Washington's in the eighties, uh, South Alabama's in the hundreds, like all Colorado is just, they can't do anything on, on either side of the ball, um, except score on Cal and win games against Cal but that's besides the point. Like they, they haven't really played anybody to this point. That's been anywhere close to the same quality of running the football as Oregon. I mean, like you mentioned, even in that Georgia game on an efficiency basis, Oregon was actually very successful running the ball Um, drives just stalled out due to turnovers early in that game in the red zone. And because of that, the run was taken away early by the Georgia offense. Uh, But that doesn't change the fact that in the flow of that game, Oregon was running the ball with good efficiency um, not, nothing about the film that I've watched makes me like all that concerned that UCLA is just going to completely sit on the run, especially because their their pass defense has really struggled this year. They're sitting at 75th in EPA per pass. Um, and I, I get the feeling that they're probably going to try to keep things in front. Uh, they made a defensive coordinator change this last offseason, moving on from a name that's familiar to Oregon fans and Jerry Azanaro to Bill McGovern. 
it's a it's a it's a different guy, but they're for the most part fundamentally running the same system. It's the same bend but don't break system that they ran when they were at Oregon back in their early 2010s uh, with Nick Aliotti and Jerry Azanaro. I they're they're going to stay in a too high shell. I'd expect for the most part. At times they were they've been forced to come down and play with additional bodies in the box. Um, but if they're going to play Oregon in that way and play us straight up and try to force us into long drives. I, I don't see how Oregon doesn't stay ahead of the chains offensively in this game. And so especially when you consider just how poor um, th- this past defense has been again in giving up explosives, uh, specifically if you look at that Washington game uh, is a good example of that. And, and UCLA was able to, or Utah was able to find some things too, despite being down both Brent Keithy and not having Britton Covey uh, like they did last year. So th- in, in my opinion, this isn't a, a situation where Oregon's going to be able to be balanced um, they're going to probably want to play some lighter personnel groupings, keep keep UCLA in that nickel package with with two high safeties, um, and that way they can run on on a really advantage surface for them, um, including Bo in the run game. Yeah, I, I think spread to run is definitely you know something I'm looking forward to seeing. Uh, you know, you mentioned this a little bit, but I think it bears touching on again. You know, statistically their rushing defense looks good, but when you start breaking it down. You know, they played three teams who are just, quite frankly, just just awful teams. Uh, so just discard those all together. And then you look at the other three games, uh, you know, Washington has a really great passing offensive, but Washington has has a pretty, frankly, bad running offense. Like, they don't run the ball well at all. They couldn't run the ball in Arizona. And we put up 300 yards on Arizona, and Washington couldn't do anything against them. So the fact that Washington – or sorry, the fact that UCLA – was able to hold the Huskies rushing offense doesn't mean anything to me because the Huskies rushing offense is, is pretty much non-existent. Um, and then you look at the other two games, South Alabama actually ran on them pretty successfully. You know, they had 160 yards, almost five a carry against UCLA in a game that, you know, obviously went right down to the wire. And then Utah, who again, hasn't been particularly great running this year. They've been pretty inconsistent. You know, they put up almost 200 yards in that game. Now, granted, it was on 43 carries, so they, yeah, it was still a four-and-a-half-yard average. But it, UCLA, or I'm sorry, Utah had 31 first downs in that game <laughs> against UCLA. So I, I, I don't think this UCLA defense is, is particularly good, um, and I think that they're ill-equipped to handle the Oregon offensive line they've done a pretty good job of keeping the the explosive run down but their their like effective drive rate and their and their points off efficiency drives are, are really poor relative to like what you would expect for a team that's 22nd in epa per rush defensively um and so when i when i look at this game i'm like it, it just it just it reminds me so much of the philosophy of the mark helfridge chip kelly defenses where it was just like and even Jimmy Lake defenses of recent years, like last year, where Washington looked very, very good um, in certain analytics defensively. They were great against the pass. Well, part of that was everyone just ran the ball on them, uh, and they were forcing them into 10, 15-play drives just by the way that they structured their defense. But but you could still move the ball. And in my opinion, if you're going to be willing to give up yardage to Oregon, you're going to give up points because in the red zone specifically, UCLA has been very, very poor at stopping touchdowns once teams get into the into the red area, uh, and that's an area that the Oregon offense has been exceptional this season. Yeah, I, I was pulling up that stat as you were talking. Uh, you know, out, 
the Oregon only had one game where they where they were poor at at red zone touchdowns, and that was obviously the first half specifically of the Washington State game. But on the season, they're seventy three percent touch scoring touchdowns in the red area, which is good for nineteenth in the country. Um, so the, yeah, that's definitely a strength of Oregon. Yeah, and it's been a weakness of UCLA's to this point this season. So um, something something to keep in mind as this game gets closer, they're 124th in red zone defense out of 131 teams currently. Wow. <laughs> so we talked a bit about, uh, about the running game. I mean, what do you see being effective for Oregon when they do go to the passing game? Well, this is a group that like they lost their best corner to the transfer portal coming into the season. They brought some guys in, in the transfer portal. Um, they've also relied on some younger players, some freshmen. They actually recruited a couple four stars this last season. Not a group that's been particularly deep from a personnel standpoint. In my opinion, for Oregon to be effective in the past, they just need to continue to do what they've been doing. I think they can do the lateral stretch. Like it, the the Oregon offense has come in waves this season, but it's been pretty. They've done the same thing almost every week. Like they they run the ball, they they cause you to bring your safeties down. They do a, a lateral stretch using the screen game uh, and the quick game and the free access throws to make you tighten coverage and play those safeties wider. And then they attack vertical um, and take advantage of 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 the of the fact that you have to bring extra bodies into the box to stop the run. Um, nothing groundbreaking at all, but I think that until Oregon plays a team that can actually physically match up with them at the point of attack, which I'm not convinced that this UCLA team can do, they're going to, they're going to be able to keep being balanced in terms of the way that they attack the field, uh, both laterally and vertically, and then through the run game. Um, and I think that the diversity that Oregon's shown in terms of different schemes and, and ways of getting into the run is, is going to be a problem for UCLA. I don't think that they're going to be, particularly adept to, to personnel matching Oregon when they decide to go into 12 and 21 personnel groupings and try to mix things up. Um, and I think that depth is ultimately going to be an issue. Liatu Latu has been really good for UCLA off the edge. He's been uh, he's leading the league in sack, sacks currently. But when you look at UCLA's defense as a whole, they're 89th in adjusted pressure rate. So when you adjust for opponents, all of a sudden their sack numbers don't, don't line up the same way that they look when you – count some of those softer um, non-conference games that they played early in the schedule. Oregon's been exceptional at protecting Bo Nix this year. I expect that to continue here. If Oregon can keep Bo Nix clean, um, his splits uh, uh, under pressure versus with clean pockets are uh, quite the dichotomy. I mean, he's been better this year than he's been throughout his career against pressure, but he's still over 50 points better Um in passer rating when he's throwing from a clean pocket. So if Oregon can keep him clean and keep UCLA off balance, I think the key here is to stay ahead of the chains, which is something Oregon's done extremely well, leading the country at number one in EPA per rush. If they can, if Oregon can run the ball, I don't really see any way that UCLA is going to stop Oregon um, as much as it's going to be a matter of Oregon, just making sure that they don't um, hurt themselves, themselves with procedural procedural penalties uh, and turnovers. Yeah, I would, uh, I would, I would see all that. I mean, we kind, it kind of feels like a broken record sometimes. Where, you know, we we've been repeating kind of the, the Dan, you know, Oregon versus Oregon, and and you know, this is a number nine, nine versus ten matchup, so it's a little bit, it, it almost feels a little bit 
homerish to say that. So I'm trying to hedge that a little bit because I'm, I'm trying not to be homerish. I'm trying to look, really look at this in a, in a non-biased way. But when you dig into the numbers, you dig into, you know, to what you're seeing, you know, result by result, you know, through both of these teams, I do think at least on that side of the ball, right, if we're focusing on the Oregon offense versus the UCLA defense, I do think there's some truth to that. I, I think if Oregon, like you said, protects the ball and and stays ahead, you know, stays ahead of the success rate on early downs, I, I think they're going to score. <laughs> they're going to score in the, you know, high 30s into the 40s. Uh, it's hard to yeah. see that not happening. Yeah, the UCLA defense has been plucky. They've made plays situationally. They've done a good job of turning the ball over, but we've given USC uh, a very hard time for turnover margin-related stuff. The UCLA defense, when they haven't gotten turnovers, has been very – they've had a hard time getting teams off the field on third down in a lot of the same ways that Oregon has. I mean, we – we during our, our, our six-week uh, kind of retrospective look at the Oregon defense talked about – how poor we've been on third down. I mean, UCLA is right there with us in terms of third down and fourth down success rate defensively. Um, and so staying ahead of the chains just allows Oregon to keep the, the playbook completely open. And to this point in the season, outside of when Oregon played Georgia, the play sheet's been green against everybody. And so we'll see, we'll see how this one uh, plays out. This has shootout potential just based on the fact that both offenses appear to be good. Uh, but as I think as we transition here, there's more winnable matchups for the Oregon defense, at least on film, that seems sustainable and predictable um, than what I've seen so far from the UCLA defense against Utah um, and some of the other opponents. Yeah, um, I think let's switch over to the other side of the ball and talk a little bit about the UCLA offense, of course, led by Dorian Thompson Robinson at quarterback, Zach Charbonnet, who's you know clearly in my mind the, the best running back in the conference. Um, and of course they they've had a lot of success with Mike Bobo, the Duke transfer, kind of leading their receiving core this year. Um, what are some of your high level kind of initial impressions of this offense? Um, well, first of all, they're excellently coached. Like as all Oregon fans know, um, Chip Kelly is one of the best offensive play callers and all of football, both college and professional. I think people have kind of forgotten about Chip because he hasn't recruited at a super high level and managed that roster very well. Um, and so it's taken some some kind of lucky stuff. And uh, like I think the COVID year has really helped UCLA and their ability in the transfer portal. But Chip is still one of the best play callers in football, and that's shown all season, especially when he's on script early in games. Like He is really tough to stop. Um, with a quarterback that's been in the system for five years, as a starter. So this isn't a guy that's like a fifth year guy. Cause he redshirted. This is a fifth year starter who's played probably by the time he's done at UCLA, he probably will have started more games than any quarterback in the history of the PAC 12, um, just based on having an extra full year of eligibility. He's got mastery of the system and he's playing with a lot of confidence right now. Uh, there over the course of DTR's career, there's been a substantial amount of growth whether it be early in his career where he was kind of turning the ball over, putting it in harm's way, um, just not not being as consistent, getting through full progression reads to the point where he's at now where he's he seems to be quarterbacking this offense with a level of confidence and athletic arrogance that, that can only be attributed to having complete and total uh, mastery and control of the system. And so I think that's where it starts. I think you have an, an elite play caller in Chip Kelly 
with a very, very talented quarterback who has like next level uh, command over the system. And so that that's the piece of this, this UCLA offense. I think that probably presents the biggest problems is you have a quarterback who's been extremely efficient throwing the ball this year, who also adds a, a, a dynamic athletic element as a runner. Um, and, and more so, I think it's more dangerous in non-designed applications where you're playing man coverage and he manages to escape the first guy that's getting into the backfield. And now he's improvising and moving on the run against a defense that's got their back turned. He can be really explosive in those situations. And so to me, this game will be decided by the way that Oregon is able to contain 50% of Dorian Thompson Robinson's effectiveness by staying disciplined in their, in their rush lanes and and keeping him in the pocket as much as possible and when he does break having having good angles good discipline and overlapping uh and flowing to the ball as a team yeah you mentioned the the you know making the first guy miss and then breaking free and let's you know certainly acknowledge that Oregon has not been good at at bringing the quarterback down even when they get a free rusher who's got a you know bead on the quarterback they their their ability to actually bring that guy down has been has been really poor this year and and, yeah. and that's against athletes who are not nearly the level of that a lot of them who are not nearly the level of athlete that that dtr is so i think that's definitely a a component to watch in this game that that really could be you know a difference maker everybody looks at the chip kelly offense this year with with dtr and zach charbonnet and jake bobo and they immediately think of like the old michael james offenses at oregon where it was all about the run. Like it was a run first offense. And in a lot of cases, this is a run first offense, but this offense has not been terribly efficient running the ball. It's been very explosive. Um, and I don't know that they've played against any front, the quality of Oregon's to this point this year. Actually, I do know that they haven't. Um, Oregon's run defense has been like the lone consistent strength since game one to now the front has done a really good job of owning their gaps and playing with good discipline. Uh, Oregon's gotten a lot healthier, hopefully continues to stay healthy and get healthier through this bye week that we just had getting Justin flow back getting Noah Sewell back closer to hundred percent. He's been nursing some injuries this year. Um, if, if the linebackers can step up their play to match the defensive line and Oregon can, can sit on this run game in the way that they were able to sit on some of the other run games they've played this year and really force UCLA to to into more uh, predictable passing situations, I think that'll be a massive assistance. Um, And so I think for Oregon, and this is one thing that I didn't think UCLA was going to be able to do defensively. If, if Oregon can, and I, and I do think that there's film um, that would point to Oregon's ability to do this. If Oregon can stop the run and keep UCLA at second and eight plus situations, as opposed to second and five, um, that's where you can find your way into some stops that will create the separation necessary to win this game. Yeah, you mentioned the the lack of efficiency in the running game, and and I, that was something I was going to point out. I mean, they've they've certainly racked up a lot of rushing yards, but a lot of that has been just through volume, right? I mean, they just they just run so many times a game. You know, they you know thirty seven rushes against South Alabama, but they only averaged three point nine. Uh, you know, Washington they had thirty nine runs, averaged four point seven, which is an okay number, but it's not a great, it's not a like elite number in college football by any stretch. You know, they're a little better against Utah at 5.3, but again, 38 rushes. So they're, they're racking up 
yardage on volume, but if you compare, you know, they ran, they ran for 5.3 a carry for 200 yards on Utah, but USC actually ran much more effectively on Utah than, than UCLA did. Like, you know, you know, Travis Dye in that rushing offense for USC averaged like over seven yards, almost two full yards of carry better against the same defense. Um, and so it, it's a volume rushing attack, but you're right. It's not particularly efficient um, outside of the explosion play explosion plays. And yeah. I think, yeah, go ahead. And that's at times, that's what Oregon's run game um, with, with Chip Kelly was at Oregon, right? Like Oregon was getting stuffed a little bit more often um, running some of those more lateral zone concepts, but when you did get that matchup where you had a guy in space against a good back and Zach Charbonnet certainly is a good back who's capable of making guys miss or just flat out running through him uh, with his size and physicality, they, they will get explosives. And so it's really important that, first of all, Oregon tackle well, but second of all, Oregon flow to the ball with good lane discipline and understanding of where each guy is supposed to be because um, this, this scheme, this run scheme that, that Chip is Chip kind of, uh, pioneered at Oregon has brought and taken to the next level. I think they're incorporating substantially more gap schemes now. It's well thought out and it's extremely well timed. And so, if you have guys that are are, are playing with poor eye discipline and running themselves out of position, they're going to pop explosives on you. And so, um, Oregon's ability to to make UCLA's production in this game reflect their 83rd and EPA per rush number and not the explosive numbers that they were able to put up against Utah is what's going to dictate Oregon's success defensively in this game. One thing to, to note about this UCLA offense, too, is that they have, they've been starting with the best field position of any team in college football this year. And it's important to note, Casimir Allen, the, the kick returner for UCLA, is unbelievably explosive. And, and he's someone that has the green light to take the ball from really wherever it's kicked. And so um, – kick coverage and special teams are going to be just as important to defensive success and making UCLA drive a full field um, as any other aspect of the defense this year. And that's an area where the rain could have an impact because Oregon has been very successful at kicking the ball through the end zone for touchbacks all year long. Uh, But you can imagine if the air is a little wet, the ball is a little heavier you know, getting getting that ball to sail through the end zone, you know, may be less consistent this game, and that may open up opportunities for him in the return game that that maybe you wouldn't have seen, you know, in a dry in drier conditions. Yeah, and and it's also important, like offensively, UCLA has been one of the best teams in college football on third down this year, only a little bit behind Oregon's offense. And a lot of that can be attributed to them staying ahead of the chains themselves. Their success rate on first and second down is, is extremely high. Their early down EPA, again, is only uh, a few slots behind Oregon's offensive early down EPA. And so these are all problems because Oregon defensively has been putrid on third down. And so can't what like what was able to get fixed during the bye week? And this could be also said for UCLA, although I would I would challenge anyone that Oregon has and, and we we've said this and I've probably beat this to death over the course of the season. Oregon has more juice to squeeze defensively in terms of improvement just based on the overall talent level of the roster and the youth of the guys that are stepping up into more prominent roles than probably anybody else in the league. Um, And so can Oregon find ways to make plays in third down situations and get them off the field? Because in in a game like this where you're going to have two offenses that are certainly going to score and have have, um, successful drives, 
who whoever can find the most ways it doesn't have to be pretty to four stops and get the ball back to their offense is likely going to win this game. I mean, this game could go a whole multitude of directions. And I think we've seen the, the line settle in at Oregon minus six with a total of, of 71 points. Um, it, in my opinion, what that means is that Vegas is looking at Oregon as a team, especially at home, that's going to be able to find their way into more stops in UCLA. Yeah. Going back to, to DTR a little bit, you know, this will be this his forty third game in his college career with you know what's that you know five five six either five to eight five to seven more to go. So he's going to finish his career you know with close to fifty games played, which is it's an incredible amount of experience. Um, and you know, you look at his previous career, and you know, you you he's got a ton of great games, but he, but they're always sprinkled around with with you know inconsistency, right? And I think this is the year where he hasn't he hasn't been inconsistent. He's been consistently, I mean, his worst game of the year was the first game against Bowling Green and he's been consistently great in every game since. And, and, but what's interesting about that too, is this will be by far the, the most raucous road environment he's played in since 2019. Uh, They've only been to Colorado this year. Last year, they only played four road games. None of them were in, in an environment that was, you know, you know, Stanford, Arizona, uh, a Washington team that was already out and down and and USC at the end of the year, which, again, was was probably an empty stadium. And then, of course, 2020, there was no one there. Uh, you know, so you go you have to all go all the way back to November of 2019 at Rice Eccles in Utah uh, to the last time he actually played in an environment that will be anywhere near what he's going to see in Autzen this weekend. And he was terrible in that game at Utah. Granted, that was three years ago. He's a better player. He's a different player. He's a more mature player. He's a more experienced player. And he's got everything everything humming here. But I, I do wonder what impact, if any, you know, the crowd will have, not just on on DTR, but on, on the Utah team. And maybe I'm overselling it. Yeah, well, I think like your ability <clears throat> defensively to match up with, with three players is really important. Kazmir Allen out of the slot, which... Typically, they don't throw the ball to him vertically all that much. It's usually just free access, quick stuff, smoke screens. Just get him the ball in space because he's got such electric speed. If you can, if he can find a crease, he's gone. Right? Um, yeah. They've got Jake Bobo, who's been he, he's their big outside receiver. He's been really effective against some teams, not as much against others. Um, UCLA or sorry, the Utah game. Clark Phillips really shut him down. He had three catches for twenty four yards in that game. And then Michael Ozeki at tight end, a, a guy who was committed to Oregon at one point under Willie Taggart, a big physical tight end with really good vertical explosiveness. Um, but I think that Oregon here, just based on matchups and personnel, has some good some uh, some good stuff here because Jake Bobo, not the most explosive guy, more of a technical route runner and body control and positioning player. Going up against Christian Gonzalez, I mean, Oregon has shown the ability to move guys around so that Christian Gonzalez can mirror the most effective player on on the op- the opposing offense. We saw him follow Brandon Cowing in the in the Arizona game. I, I think that that's the matchup here. I think that you have Christian Gonzalez, who's probably the second best corner in the league behind Clark Phillips, covering Jake Bobo, and it, to me, athletically, that's a matchup where where there's a pretty decisive advantage in favor of Gonzo. Um, and then you probably have Oregon behind behind Gonzo, their second-best defensive player in Bennett Williams. 
um, matching up either as, as the nickel in the slot over Michael Ziki or Casimir Allen, where he's both an extremely effective um, player against, against the screen game and the run, um, probably Oregon's best open field tackler, as well as somebody who's proven to be very effective carrying tackles or sorry, tackles tight ends vertically this year. So I think that the matchups in the secondary here are good for Oregon. Oregon's really gotten burned when teams have gone after Triquez bridges on the outside. I don't think that the defensive staff for Oregon is going to allow the Jake Bobo um, Triquez bridges isolation to occur. And even if they do, this is the type of athletic player like from a trade standpoint that bridges matches up best with not a smaller twitchy guy a bigger longer more deliberate route runner um who's who's been typically um creating space uh with his with his ability to um to stem and and to create separation with the route itself and not his separation athleticism and so uh, bridges having good length gonzo having just kind of everything and then bennett williams being Oregon's probably most instinctive and best defender overall. Um, I think these are good matchups for Oregon and situationally. Yeah. And I think, you know, to kind of put a bow on, on all this before we move into picking this game and the others, you know, I kind of look at this as, you know, as we've been talking about two very, very explosive, you know, high efficiency, high scoring offenses. Um, and, and two, you know, average defenses. And I think, to me, what this game comes down to is which defense do you trust more to either come up with an initial game plan and or make the right adjustments in game to get the stops needed to to give their team the win. And I've just been really impressed by you know what I've seen out of the Oregon you know defensive staff over the last few weeks, particularly in the, in the adjustments they've made, not only in game, but, but week to week, you know, we've talked a lot about, you know, the, the three, three, five, you know, modified three, three, five, they came out with against Arizona, you know, two weeks ago, but we've also seen other things throughout the year where they've, they've just schemed against the, you know, okay, we're playing a, a, a pass, a pass friendly team. We're going to, we're going to play a light box and trust our front, our front five, you know, to make the stop on runs, uh, in this game, maybe we'll see it, you know, a different approach where they're going to say, okay, we're going to trust our backs, you know, to cover guys one-on-one and we're going to, we're going to dedicate more bodies to the run game and, and the, the, the willingness and flexibility and, and then just frankly, the ability to, to scheme and coach and get these guys prepared to play, you know, in those various looks, you know, in a week to week basis. And with two weeks in this case, I, I just trust Oregon's defense, defensive staff and defensive talent to to make the adjustments needed more than I, I think I'll, I'll see out of, of UCLA, particularly, you know, being in Eugene. Yeah, and I think uh, – I feel like I have a pretty good handle on Chip Kelly and what he's going to want to do in this game. I'm pretty sure Oregon's going to deploy more resources to stop the run here than they have at any point this season. Um, I think that Oregon is totally fine playing against guys like Cam Brown and Jake Bobo on the outside – um, if it means that they can stop the run and and put them into more obvious passing situations. That seems like a risk um, worth taking, in my opinion, in this game. Whereas if you allow Zach Charbonnet to get going, to break tackles, and to create explosives on the ground, um, it's, it's going to make things a lot easier. I'd rather deploy an extra body um, so you have a dedicated body on the quarterback in the run game and, and really force them to beat us consistently on the outside because they I don't know that they've really done that a ton this year 
um, outside of Jake Bobo situationally against teams that can't cover anyone. Yeah. And, and to that point, you know, I think Oregon held Charbonnet to his lowest rushing total of the year last season. So in that, and that game was against, an Oregon team that couldn't stop the run. Right. And he only had uh, 35 yards rushing against Oregon on 15 carries last year. So if that, if that team, and obviously every game is different, right? But I, I do feel like I agree with you. I I'd be surprised if the staff doesn't decide we're we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna let our guys play one on one against the the passing game. We're gonna we're gonna take the run away first, and if that means we give up, you know, some plays through the air, you know, on a limited basis, that's that's probably a trade off that that staff will take. Yeah, I agree. All right. Let's make our picks. Um, as you mentioned before, you know, Oregon is by the line I'm going with um, a six point favorite at home in this game. I think the line, you know, started as low as four and a half, kind of creeped up to five and a half, six. I don't know where it's at right now, but, you know, the what we pull this off of, it was at six. So I'll start this one. I'm going to take Oregon to cover. I, I think Oregon wins by at least a touchdown, maybe 10. Um, and I think I 10 think touchdowns. They, that's a bold take, Doug. What's that? 10 touchdown win? That's no, no, a good no. <laughs> Maybe 10 points. A touchdown ah. to 10 points, somewhere in that range. Um, I, I just think, for all the reasons we've said, I think I think Otson's going to be a factor. I, I really do. And I, I think the all the other things we talked about. I think Oregon's just, again, I'm going to sound like a homer here. I just think Oregon's a better football team. I, I, I think they are. I think their defense is improving. I think their defense has more upside than UCLA's. I think their offenses are similar. But I think the home... The home atmosphere and the defense are going to to be just enough to give Oregon the the seven to ten point one here. Yeah, I think Oregon's going to be able to protect Bo Nix in this game. I think Oregon's going to be able to maintain the efficiency run game that's been so dependable against every opponent they've played now for the last twenty games. Um, and so, yeah, I'm going to take Oregon to cover here. I maybe maybe I'm a homer, maybe I'm blind to the obvious here. Um, I do think that. Uh, third down defense is going to be a problem for Oregon in this game. I think UCLA and Dorian Thompson Robinson are going to have some stuff that they can go to, to create plays and to, and to convert and continue drives. But I, I trust this Oregon defense with this Oregon defensive staff uh, to find ways to get enough stops. And I really don't see uh, outside of um, extenuous situations where Oregon's turning the ball over offensively, um, how, how Oregon gets stopped in this game um, by the UCLA defense. So, yeah, I'm taking the Ducks, especially at home, with what should be just an electric crowd behind their back, um, pushing them to victory here and giving them a pretty big advantage. All right. There we you have it. We're both taking the Ducks uh, minus six in this one. There's only four total Pac-12 games this week, USC and Utah are on a bye, as well as uh, Washington State and who am I missing? Someone else. Da, na, 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 <laughs> Arizona. Arizona. Oh, there we go. Yeah. So there's there's four buys this week. Um, so we'll have four games to cover. Let's move on to Arizona State at Stanford. Uh, this is an interesting matchup. Stanford is a three-point home, home favorite over Arizona State. Uh, Stanford fresh off their win, of course, in South Bend against Notre Dame. Arizona State had that that big win over Washington a couple weeks back. Um, what do you see in this one? Arizona State's actually been able to run the ball pretty well this year. Um, Stanford has not been able to stop it. 
I, I don't know what's going on with Notre Dame. They've just been <clears throat> extremely poor offensively. I don't know. I know they lost Tyler Buckner to injury. Drew Pine's been poor. Uh, I, I don't think that what happened last week for Stanford is an indication of them turning a corner and becoming a really good team. I think ASU wins this game, so I'm going to take ASU to cover the three points on the road. Stanford, not much of a home environment. ASU seems to be playing hard, and they're coming off a bye week. So uh, give, give me the Sun Devils here on the road plus the three points. Yeah, I have Arizona State winning this one outright as well. Uh, it, it's a bad offense versus a bad defense on one side of the ball and a bad offense versus a bad defense on the other side of the ball. These are just two you know, pretty bad teams, to be honest. I don't buy that You know, Stanford has turned any kind of corner uh, from that game last week. I do buy, however, that Arizona State, who we all thought is certainly a better team than they've put on 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 the on tape this year through six games you know not a lot better but they're they're at least a little better than what they put on tape and the, the fact that they seem to be playing hard for their interim coach um i buy it i buy them i'm going to take them to win this game outright as well excellent so we move on to washington going on the road to play california washington is a seven and a half point road favorite um i don't know what Vegas is doing here. I feel like they know something I don't, but I have watched this California offense looking competent against all sorts of bad defenses this year. I, I don't trust Cal offensively. They must be putting a lot of stock into that Arizona performance at home. They would be the most Pac-12 thing ever for Cal to come back and win and, to win and beat Washington here, but I'm going to trust um, the analytics and I'm taking Washington to cover the seven and a half points on the road. Uh, yeah, I uh, the the by far, by far the best unit on the field in this game is Washington's offense. Like it's it's you know a top fifteen to twenty offense in the country. Um, now Washington's defense is is on the other end of that equation, Cal, but Cal's offense is is distasteful to the sport of football, as we all know, and and Cal's defense is good in certain areas, but I don't is think it they're. Good? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm trying to be, you know, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. Like everyone seems to think they're good, but uh, you know, the numbers don't really back that up. They're not a great passing defense, and Washington's going to torch them. I don't know how this is only a seven and a half point game. If you if this line was twelve, I would still take Washington. If it was thirteen, I, I mean, I, I it would go pretty high before I would take Cal. So, yeah. So EPA per rush, Cal is forty ninth. So not horrible. Not great. This is my problem. So this is why I think this line is what it is. Because Arizona was able to move the ball up and down the field on Washington all day. And Arizona defensively, I, I just think they're putting a lot of stock into the score of that Arizona game in Berkeley. Right? Yeah. And so, and they're looking at the way that, that Cal was able to move the ball on the Arizona defense. Um, and, and I think they're just kind of using the transitive property and applying that to Washington just because neither defense is very good. But Cal can't throw, and that's what Washington – I mean, Washington's not great against the rush either, and I think maybe in this game we're going to find out finally whether they actually are decent against – and maybe it'll be they just sell out to stop the run and they'll look good or not because Cal Cal's a terrible passing offense. So Cal is not equipped to score with Washington in, in anywhere near the way no, that Arizona I, was. I, I, I agree. I, I think that – but I think that they're putting – 
I think that somebody in Vegas screwed up here. I think that they're giving credit to Cal for an offensive performance against Arizona, and they're acting like that's a reproducible outcome against this Washington defense. And while I think this Washington defense is bad, I think that this Cal offense is fundamentally broken. Now, like I said, it would be the least surprising thing to happen to me this weekend if Cal came out and won this game, because that's just like what Cal does against Washington. <laughs> and it's like a very like weird situation between these two programs, but Washington is fundamentally a better football team than Cal and the Washington yeah. offense, like you said, is by far in a way, the best thing on the field for either team. And so I'm going to trust that offense to be explosive against a Cal, uh, a Cal defense. That's not been great. So uh, yeah, give me Washington to cover the seven and a half points on the road. Yeah, I got Washington as well. So last Pac-12 game, <laughs> uh, the Colorado Buffaloes, fresh off their their win at home against Cal, travel up to Corvallis uh, to Potato Salad Stadium to take on the Beavers, who are a 24-point favorite against Colorado. I know we've had the Colorado rule all year long. Is the Colorado rule... Still going to hold true for this game. Do we see the Beavers being able to win by 24 plus? Or do we think a page has been turned maybe in Boulder? And can we trust the Beavers offense to score enough to win by 24? Uh, It's my turn to pick. I'm going to take Colorado. Not to win. The Beavers will win this game. I'm going to take Colorado to keep it under 24. You see, like I, I thought, I thought about it. I did. I realized, like maybe the Colorado principle is wrong. No, Cal just sucks offensively. Oregon State is way better coached now. While Oregon State has only beat one team this year by this margin, it was, uh, I think, Montana State. I do think that Oregon State is just too well rounded and too overall confident to let a Mike Sanford offense score very much on them. Um, and so I'm going to take Oregon State to cover the 24. This might bite me, but I'm sticking to my principle. It, it, you know, it could bite me too. Like I, you saw how how hard it was for me to say that. Um, but we had to, have, you know. Now we have one game where we're different on at least out of the four, so it'll be this one, and and it'll be fun either way because you know this is uh, 24 points. Uh, it's crazy. It seems like a lot, but I don't know. Like if I was looking to bet this game, I would look for the whatever the first half under is for Colorado offensively. I'd take it. Because I think Oregon State's actually going to be able to sit on this Colorado offense. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good point. The Beavers have a, a pretty decent defense, um, you know, in this conference, and Colorado's offense has been like completely putrid. So I don't know. Maybe I'm talking myself into changing my pick, but you know what? The pick's in. Uh, I'll keep it. But uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this one plays out. Perfect. We have a top 15 undefeated Syracuse team going on the road. Uh, into Death Valley to play Clemson. Clemson is a 14-point home favorite. I It's my turn to pick. I will be taking Clemson to cover the 14. Syracuse is not a very good football team. They looked they, they didn't look good beating North Carolina State last week. North Carolina State without Devin Leary is not a top 25 team. Um, and so I just think that Clemson's overall quality is just going to – like I think that this line is in, way too low. Yeah, I'm with you here. I'm taking Clemson. They're going to win this one handily at home by, you know, well more than the spread. I think Syracuse has had a nice run to start the season. Uh, if you look at their schedule, a, a good chunk of that has to be on the quality of that schedule. 
and you look at their their schedule coming up, I mean, this is a team that could easily, you know, drop three out of the next four, four out of the next five, you know, and and, and fall off the map, you know, precipitously over the next few weeks. And I think it starts, I think it starts this week at Clemson. They're going down. That brings us to Ole Miss traveling to Death Valley to take on LSU. I get that right? Is Death Valley LSU? Yeah, this is the real Death Valley, though. Clemson. Yeah, yeah. There's two Death Valleys, right? Yeah. Yep. Throws me off. Okay. You put them back to back, making this extremely confusing for everybody. Yeah, involved. we're at the other Death Valley now. Which one? Why is one? Uh, we'll have to have that for another pod. But uh, this is a one and a half point spread. This is probably, uh, you know, shout out to Parker stat, at Stats of War on Twitter. He puts out these really cool CFB graphs every week, advanced stats previews that we. We, uh, we leverage as part of our one of the many things we look at going into here. But this week, the win probability is 50.01% to 49.99%. I mean, this is, you can't, well, I guess you could technically get closer to a 50-50 game, but this is as close as it gets, <laughs> literally, um, without, without being there. Uh, it's one and a half point spread in favor of LSU, which probably means Ole Miss would be favored on a neutral field. Um you know, Ole Miss offense is great. LSU's defense is mediocre. LSU's offense is mediocre. Ole Miss's defense is mediocre. You know, it's probably going to be a close game. I I like LSU in this one. I think LSU is going to win, and, and and I think that means they'll cover the one and a half. Yeah, I, I've gone back and forth on this game, but I keep coming back to the fact that this game actually opened at Ole Miss minus three and flipped to LSU one and a half. And like, I think it's actually at LSU two um, in the in like 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a lot of sharp money on LSU. I think LSU is somewhat starting to turn a corner offensively. I don't think they're great. I don't think Jaden Daniels is a particularly dependable passer. And I really don't like their offensive line, but this Ole Miss defensive front is not particularly threatening. Uh, and and Jackson Dart has not been very consistent throwing the ball. No. I think LSU has enough talent in the front seven um, to not allow Ole Miss to just be a one-dimensional murder ball of run game. And so I'm going to take LSU to win this game at home uh, and cover the one-and-a-half points. Yeah, Ole Miss is another team that's feasted on a pretty weak schedule up to this point. Um, and I think they're they've been very inconsistent on both sides of the ball. When they're good, they're good. When they're when they're bad, they're pretty bad. I mean, and they they like Auburn like marched up and down the field on them for large stretches of that game last week. And and Auburn is not a good offensive team. So I I, I got LSU. You got LSU. Yep. That yep. To the next one. Yeah. So we've got Texas uh, as a six point favorite going on the road to play Oklahoma State. Um, I'm not going to overthink this one. Sanders is not healthy. There's not even a guarantee that uh, Spencer Sanders is going to play for Oklahoma State this week. I'm taking Texas minus the six. Um, Texas is a very, very good football team with Quinn Ewers healthy. Uh, And I don't think that this Oklahoma State offense has a lot in the tank without Spencer Sanders uh, running it and being at full capacity from a health standpoint. Yeah, I mean Texas is a top ten team in most of the most of the advanced analytics models, um, and I think that's I think that's legit. You know, with viewers playing, I think they are a top ten team. Uh, you know, the one thing that gives you concern about Texas is a game like last week, right, where they just kind of like fumble around with with an Iowa State team that they should run away from, and so it, you know 
if they do that against Oklahoma State, I think Oklahoma State's a better team than Iowa State. Now, of course, you know, the Sanders thing is definitely a factor as well. So for all those reasons, I'm going to also take uh, take Texas in this one. Perfect. Moving on, we've got Mississippi State going on the road to Alabama. Alabama's a 21-point favorite uh, coming off the loss to Tennessee. What do you have on this one, Doug? So 21-point favorite, I, I, I give me Alabama all day long. <laughs> I, I think Alabama is going to open up a can uh, at home uh, in a get-right game. I think Mississippi State's been – an oddly an oddly inconsistent team this year as well. I think another team that, you know, has played a lot of, you know, like many of the kind of middle of the road SEC teams, they play a pretty soft, you know, non-con schedule. And then, you know, their, their schedule seems to be backloaded as well. So I don't, I don't think they're going to be able to hang with Alabama. And I think Alabama is going to run away with this one. Like so, what, do you think, what do you think this line would be had Alabama made that field goal and just beat Tennessee outright? Like it I mean, would probably, it's probably be another. It's probably another field goal or so. Yeah, I, and for that reason, I'm taking Alabama. I think Alabama is a little undervalued here. Offensively, they've scored a billion points over the last several years against Mississippi State. Like li- literally a billion. Don't look it up. Just take my word for it. Um, I don't really see a matchup here that favors Mississippi State. I think Alabama wins this one, covers, um, and gets get. It's kind of a get right game. Uh, on the road to the SEC West title. Yeah, I don't think you want to bet against Bama and Nick coming off a loss playing at home. I, I, I haven't looked up the numbers on that, but I'm guessing they're not they're not favorable to the opponent. Yeah, I, they're, they're not great. Um, another podcast I listened to had them, but I don't remember what they were. So I've got Minnesota. We, as we move on here, we've got Minnesota going on the road to Penn State. This is the wideout game, the annual wideout game for Penn State. Penn State is a five-point favorite at home. I'm all over Penn State here. As bad as Michigan was capable of making that Penn State defense look last week, I don't think Minnesota shares any of those same qualities. Um, I think this is going to be a relatively low-scoring game, but overall at home in a wideout environment, I think Penn State is going to bounce back here um, and just assert their overall quality advantage over minnesota yeah i think the theme of the week here in our picks is is synergy uh qb because i'm also taking penn state uh minus the five i think if this game if we were picking this game a few weeks ago i might have you know when before ibrahim got of course he's back now but before he got hurt you know i thought minnesota was playing at a much higher level maybe it was just a function of the schedule and this is who they are but i might have picked them but a whiteout game at Penn State coming off and really an embarrassing loss uh, to Michigan. Uh, and Minnesota has not been playing the same level of football the last few weeks as they had, you know, to start the season. So I think all signs point to, to Penn State winning this one pretty comfortably. And that brings us to our final matchup of the week. Um, and it is to the Big 12, big matchup there, Kansas State. On the road at TCU, fresh off of their big comeback win over the Cowboys last week. TCU is a three and a half point favorite at home. Is it my turn to pick this one first? I think it is. Yeah. So I'm going to take TCU. I, I think their their offense is just really effective. I think Kansas State's defense is not 
very impressive against the pass uh, and and in other aspects. And I think TCU is going to be able to score to score enough points to. I, I, sorry, I should say that Kansas State does have a good defense, but I still think that TCU's offense is better than Kansas State's defense, and I think TCU's defense is is at least equal, if not slightly better than Kansas State's offense. I just don't think Kansas State can score enough. Let's just put it that way. I think TCU is going to score. I don't think Kansas State can keep up. So I like TCU. Yeah, totally fair. I'm taking Kansas State. Um, Kansas State's coming off a bye week. TCU's coming off back-to-back emotional games. Uh, right beating, game. beating Kansas on the road with game day there. Beating Oklahoma State. Um I just think that this is a letdown opportunity. I think that the Kansas State defense is very good, uh, and I think that I think that the Kansas State offense is going to be able to play ball control and run the ball effectively here. Uh, I think Kansas State wins this game. I don't think TCU is a good enough team to go undefeated through Big Twelve play, um, and this just seems like the natural place for them to drop one. So uh, I'm I'm taking Kansas State to win here on the road at TCU uh, plus the three and a half points. All right. Well, that gives us a second game that we're different on this week. So I guess that's good. Um, but I, I, this one will be interesting because I do the Big 12. You know, we talk about this every week. The Big 12 is such a, an interesting league to watch this year because I don't think they have, you know, maybe Texas is an elite team, but they've already got two losses. And outside of that, I don't think they have any elite teams, but they have a lot of good teams. And I think this is, is one of those examples where, you know, any team could beat any team on any given Saturday. And, and maybe you got this one pegged right. So we'll see. Yeah, I think a lot of people are doing the transitive property here and they're looking at how Kansas State's game and TCU's game against Oklahoma went. Um, but you got to keep in mind that Dylan Gabriel didn't play for a very large portion of the game against TCU. Um, and so it made it look like TCU just shut down that Oklahoma offense when, as we saw when they played Texas, the Oklahoma offense is incapable of scoring points without Dylan Gabriel in the lineup. So. Uh, I, I think this is more of a matchup styles make fights thing than it is just a pure, well, TCU was this much better than one team, and so they're going to be better than this team too. Uh, I, I just think that there's aspects of this TCU defense which are extremely fast but not exactly as stout at the front um, and a really well-coached uh, T- or Kansas State D- offense is going to be able to, to run the ball and uh, play keep away. I think that's all we got for this episode, QB. Um, go ahead. No, it's been a pleasure to go over these games with you, Doug. And uh, as always, we'll be back on Sunday with our recap show of everything from the Oregon-UCLA game as well as the national games that we previewed here for the pod. Uh, we'd like to thank you once again. Please remember to subscribe on whatever uh, podcasting app that you use. Leave five stars. Um, and, and we'd, I'd also love to see some kind of increased engagement here when we do our, uh, our questions. If anybody has questions for, for our future episodes, uh, you can send those to myself at QB 11 SD on Twitter, uh, at Douglas TS for Doug on Twitter or at the QB 11 show, uh, really appreciate all of your guys' support and we will talk to you on Sunday.